Hello and welcome to The Story, a podcast where great stories are shared and told. Do you love being immersed in drama, romance and suspense? Do you like to forget about the world you live in and step into someone else's world? Do you like to fall in love with characters that seem so real that you can identify with them and you just can't stop thinking about them? Well, you have come to the right place. This is a podcast that does just that. I narrate my second book, Rise of a Source Survival, where each week I read out a chapter of my book and I encourage other writers to join me in sharing some of the stories they have written. It's all about support and listening to a good story. So join us and embark on a journey of storytelling. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you've all had a wonderful week. So the other day, my daughter and I were discussing about how if the books made it to Netflix, how fantastic that would be. I have a few ideas on who could play the characters in the book. And as you know, the first book, Rise of a Saw, is currently in the process of being published, and it should be released sometime next year. So super exciting. And I'll definitely keep you guys posted. Currently, I'm reading Gates of Athens, and I'm not sure if you all know that I'm a huge fan of Con Eagleton, who was the author of the book. He's written a few historical fiction series, and they truly are masterpieces. I highly recommend his books if you're into that type of genre. So I'm not sure if you've heard of how thoughts can change your biology, and I was listening the other day to someone talking about it and how it contributes to how you feel. People who are aligned and manifest positive vibes and consciously control how they think seem a lot happier than people who who have negative or self-sabotaging thoughts. And a lot of people meditate and they say this can help contribute to manifesting abundance and um, alignment. I find this so interesting and I really believe it to be true. So I hope you not only do something good for yourself today, but manifest and put out happy vibes. Maybe try some meditation. It'll make you feel so good. Okay, let's do a recap of last week's episode, Courage. We heard about Ulrich and his companion's narrow escape from the Assault and how the trees made a tunnel for them, which will allow them a quick and easier access to Shakurta village. They are to consult with the ancient tree and find answers that will assist them in bringing down Daedanos. We heard of the rev- revelations from Huxley's hypnosis. One of them was Dardanus prowls the tunnels under Doorhill Pass, near to where Merrick seeks refuge in the Hidden Valley. We also heard that Edith still has not forgiven Merrick or his wife Eleanor, and this saddens Eleanor, and she is determined to seek her her forgiveness. The wedge between Merrick and Eleanor continues to grow, and a gratitude ceremony has been organised. And Zuri learns of Eleanor's pregnancy and that Eleanor still has not told Merrick. Anja is torn between being the first female seer and the desire to be reunited with her husband, Eigenbrook. Her new role will bind her to her mortal life for a long period of time. The ancient seer has a growing concern about the time when Ulrich's cries for help from his sister were left unanswered when they were trying to escape from the Assault. 
The seer feels the seer from Shakurta village is responsible. The feeling of fear sits with the ancient seer and he is beginning to feel uneasy about Ulrich's pending arrival at Shakurta village. The ancient seer advises that himself, Ada and Anja need to infiltrate the minds of the people who have not yet fled. He wants them to join with Marek as their victory hinges on a united human force. So much drama and good stuff ahead. I hope you're all comfortable. Enjoy. The strong smell of earth permeated Ulrich's nostrils, and he knew he'd be able to smell the smell for a long time to come. He decided to to dismount and lead his horse, holding a torch in front of him, to fight the dark shadows that were hungry to eat the light. Pankomi followed him in a quiet silence. They had not said much since entering the dark tunnel, allowing them to reflect the day's events. Even the dog and wolf appeared reserved. As Ulrich walked, he felt his sister. It was like welcoming the comfort of an old friend. He felt relieved when he felt her vibration. Getting better, Ulrich. Ulrich smiled. Where have you been, Ada? I needed you earlier and you did not come. His question barely masked his irritation. Please, Ulrich, forgive me. We have another enemy who is working with your saw. He is the seer of Shakurta village. You must be careful. He is the one who alerted them to you and stopped your vibration from reaching me. Ulrich frowned when he heard Ada say this. Ulrich, the seer and Angel will try and stop their seer from knowing about you when you reach the village. However, you must make haste to see the ancient tree. Bring Pankomi and he will help convince the tree of the betrayal from its own seer. We must be prepared in what happens next. The seer, Andrew and I will infiltrate the minds of the recruits that Merrick was to find. We do not have much time, dear brother. After tonight, Andrew and the seer will travel physically to Merrick. What about you, sister? What is your role after this? Ada did not answer for a moment. Ada? I'm to find Dardanos, the queen of the Asaur. The ancient tree will be of help. Ulrich frowned, unsure of how to feel about what Ada had just told him. He felt torn between the natural urge to protect her and the knowledge that she had to do this. The future of mankind depended upon it. Can you promise me one thing? He could see her smile and nod in his mind. Yes, brother. Tell me what is it that you will make me promise. Ulrich smiled himself. Please take care and do not take any unnecessary risks. Ada let out a soft laugh. Ulrich smiled again. Of course, Ulrich. I mean, I promise by the grace of the gods, I promise. Ulrich could still hear her laughter in his mind as they made their way through the long, dark tunnel. Eleanor made out the form of her husband as she neared the back of the centre of the camp. Her heart began to beat faster as she approached. Emsi and Zuri were talking and drinking the red drink. Eleanor paused. She felt herself wanting to turn around and run the other way. What is wrong with me? This is my husband and I'm carrying his child. Eleanor chastised herself. Taking a deep breath, came closer to confront her husband. She saw Emsie nudge Merrick 
and point where she when she came closer. Zuri gave her a sardonic smile. Oh, look is here. Eleanor felt an anger well within her, and it took all her strength to squash it. Merrick and I have been looking for you. She gave him a smile. Merrick turned to Eleanor, but his face was twisted with an anger he barely contained. Oh, here you are. I guess you have something to tell me. Merrick moved in front of Eleanor. His voice came out like a low growl. Eleanor took a step back. She did not expect that Merrick would know. She looked at Zuri, and even deeper hatred started to grow. Don't look at her, Eleanor. Look at me. I'm your husband, and you have been keeping this a secret? What were you thinking, bringing a life into this forsaken world? Merrick had started to shout, his anger now unleashed. Eleanor felt her own tide of anger surge and move forward. What do you mean? You had a part to play too. Merrick grabbed his wife by the arm, pulling her away. Eleanor resisted, but was no match from her fury-driven husband. He dragged her, his rage driving him. You are hurting me, Merrick, Eleanor pleaded. What have you done, Eleanor? Don't you think you have hurt me? How? How, Merrick? How have I hurt you? You ignore me and hang out with... Eleanor looked back over his shoulder at Zuri and Emsie. They were watching the couple quarrel. Eleanor threw them a dirty look as she tried to calm her anger, blow her racing heart. Merrick pulled his wife in, in closer to him and Eleanor could feel his breath on her face. You have lied to me, betrayed me, and you were supposed to be my wife? How could you? I don't want any more children. There is no future for them. Do you understand? You are a foolish woman, Eleanor. Eleanor managed to extract herself from Merrick's grasp. Tears ran down her face. Her heart was crushed. Merrick had never spoken to her like that before. She felt the ring on her finger and pulled at it. At first it would not budge, stubborn in its resistance, to leave the finger it was on. She struggled, wriggling and twisting, until eventually it slid off. Triumphant, she threw it at Merrick. I am not your wife, Merrick, and you are not fit to be a father of our children. Eleanor turned and ran, ignoring Merrick's shouts that rang out behind her. She collapsed on the soft furs and cried, her heart broken. She did not know her husband anymore. He was not the man she had fallen in love with and married. Tears ran down her face like a river unleashed. As she sobbed, hear the tent flap lift and open. Eleanor was startled when she heard the healer's voice soothing and comforting in the dark. Hush now, Eleanor. He will come round. He has the weight of the world on his shoulders. Please quiet now, child. Eleanor pushed herself up and squinted in the dark. She could make out the silhouette of the healer sitting at the base of her bed. Serenity moved forward allowing Eleanor to reach out and embrace her, letting out another round of fresh tears. Villages, or what remained of them, had been burnt to a pile of charred ashes. The majestic forest that graced the land beside Eigenbrook's village had suffered the same fate. It had stretched and snaked itself 
all the way to the east coast before turning and heading south. As they looked at the new change in the landscape, a sadness settled upon them. Once a thriving biodiversity of plants, insects, birds and animals had been reduced to dust and blackened stumps. The devastation continued for miles. Nature had suffered a huge loss. Occasionally, an old tree was sighted, standing forlorn in a new barren land. The seer tisked. It hurt to see such beauty wiped from the face of the earth. A beauty that had taken nature years to create, a tapestry of contrast between flora and fauna, a delicate balance that had taken a millennium to design. Some of the forests were still smouldering, and the trees that had been spared appeared to look on despondently. No birds graced the sky, no insects, no call of the wild creatures that called it home. The Asaur had been victorious in wiping out a large chunk of the forest. The seer knew that the trees would be seeking revenge on the e evil that had destroyed their leafy family. This would work in the favour of the humans that shared the same enemy. They travelled far and wide, finding nothing but a barren landscape. Are you sure there are any people left? Ada asked. We must have hope, Ada. Without hope, all is lost. Ada decided not to comment. She was growing tired of the dreary scenery by the full moon above. She didn't think that anyone or any of the forest was left. There has to be something left. They can't have caused so much destruction in such a short space of time. Anja knew Ada was growing tired of finding nothing and was running out of patience. Her granddaughter reminded her of her youngest son, Flamer. She wanted the night to be over so she could be reunited with the family she still had. There! Sia interrupted her thoughts as his own, own intruded on her inner dialogue. They swept their gaze to a part of the forest that had not been torched. A patch of green that welcomed and gave hope. A century for all those that had fled. They could hear the fervent whispering of the trees, a gesture of salutations as they picked up on the three humans that penetrated their space. A sense of relief washed over the seer. He had the niggle of doubt beginning to creep in and it had been a challenge to prevent it from morphing into something more. A village nestled within the forest a human nest amongst the foliage. It did not take long for the three of them to infiltrate and spawn dreams to flee and seek refuge in the mountains that lay far to the north. The people were fully aware of the predator, predator that hunted them. It would only be a matter of time before it was their turn to be slaughtered and burnt. They continued further along the forest corridor, encountering more people that were either trying to escape and outrun the Asaur or had homes within the Green Corridor. The Asaur had made the job of the seer, Ada and Anja, easier, as many were grateful for the offer of hope, a chance of, chance of survival. The seer urged his assistants to travel faster. Time was catching up, and Ada would need to travel back to Shakurta village to listen to the ancient tree. The Asaur had not travelled very south. Instead, it appeared they'd concentrated on the north, sweeping to the east, making the exception of the Shakurta village. The seer knew their next attack would be to the south. He also became aware that they were striking more quickly, intent on ridding the world of humans as quickly as possible. 
The realisation that the people they could not get to would wake to a certain death weighed heavily upon him. You cannot save them all, and it is time for the girl with the hair of the colour of snow turned to Shakurta village. The voice vibrated inside the seer's mind, surprising him. He searched for the entity that was a mystery, but to no avail. Did he speak with you? Ada asked. The seer frowned and nodded. We need to leave. We have done what we can. The seer turned. A heavy sense of loss weighed upon him. He could not save them all. Serenity and Eleanor made their way to the tables that were with food, a banquet to share. Eleanor took her place at the table. She'd washed her face and the healer had tied her hair into a loose braid. She tried not to look at the faces that turned when she'd made her appearance. She was aware it'd be easy for someone to see she'd been crying and that she was not sitting next to her husband. It had taken all her strength to agree to the healer, come and eat and be part of the gratitude ceremony. She knew that whispers and gossip would follow the next day and she felt a deep sense of shame. It had been a long day and she felt exhausted. The moon was starting to rise, casting silver streaks across the heavy timber tables. The healer made a way to the front of them. It was traditional for a seer to be speaker, but times were different and she was the closest they had to one. Serenity cleared her throat. Good evening, all that follow Merrick, son of Igenbrook. We are gathered here this evening to give gratitude for the shelter, the food, and the chance to live the gods have given us. We have been through tumultuous times, and I thank you all for having the courage to stand by your leader and have the strength to carry on. A quiet cheer rang out, making the healer pause. Merrick will offer the prayer for gratitude before we can eat the foods that have been given to us. I guess we are all a little hungry. Crowd gave a murmur of laughter. Merrick, please come and speak to your people. Merrick took his place beside the healer, thanking her. She took a seat not far away. Speeches and announcements would resume after the meal. Merrick look o- looked, over, over, looked over his people, his hair tied back in its traditional bun matching the long beard that also was tied the same way. He offered them a smile which earned him an applaud. He waited for them to become silent again. Here we are. Here we are in the valley provided by the gods. Before we send a prayer to them, I want to say a couple of things. First, the forest that provides us with so much must be respected. We take only what we need. No tree is to be cut down with permission, without permission. I will be organising groups of people who will oversee different jobs. It is important we work together. Our great seer will be here by the end of the next week. A gasp rang out among the people. They had no knowledge that he was coming to them, or even if he was still alive. This new information revived their spirits even more. Merrick let them talk for a moment before demanding silence. They turned their attention back to their leader. We will eat and drink in excess tonight. Become the new day, we will have work to do. We must remain united, people. I cannot stress that enough. 
You have all gone through so much, and we still have a long way to go. Another murmur ran through the crowd. Silence! Merrick was growing impatient. Let's give a prayer to the gods that provide for us. I'm getting hungry. More laughter followed before being quickly silenced when Merrick held up his hand. Eleanor watched her husband. He had, he had avoided her when he had swept his gaze over the people seated. She struggled to hold back a fresh flow of tears and forced herself to look down at the plate when they started to pray. They ate hungrily. It had been a long time since there had been an abundance of food. Plates of steaming meat were passed along with cups filled with the red drink. Emsey and his people were congratulated in their foresight for bringing so much wine. It had been classed as a necessity as they struggled to carry so much of it on their journey. Now their efforts were rewarded. Eleanor shook her head. The man next to her offered to fill her cup. She ate her meal in silence and noticed that Merrick went to sit between Emsey and Zuri. He did not look in her direction, and she felt it. Her thoughts strayed to her children. She longed to see Ada and Ulrich again, and knew that it was coming closer, giving her something to look forward to. The healer, as promised, stood to make the announcements, and Eleanor soon discovered that she was not the only one expecting new life. She held her breath as Serenity went through the list of families that would be adding new additions come, come the following winter. She was unsure if her name would be mentioned, and she stole a quick glance over at Merrick. He seemed more interested in the food he was eating than who was having children. Serenity did not announce Eleanor's pregnancy. Eleanor was not sure if she was relieved or envious that the other women were able to reveal their pregnancies while Eleanor had to hide hers. Hey, how come you're not sitting next to Merrick? You are his wife, are you not? The man beside her looked at her questioningly, interrupting her thoughts. She frowned and forced herself to smile at him. He needed to discuss things with Emsie and I was, uh... She cleared her throat. I was running a little late. The man raised his eyebrows but did not reply, simply nodding and going back to his meal. Eleanor felt herself blush, and it was all she could do from excusing herself from the table and fleeing back to her tent. If she did that, it would confirm the man's suspicions that there was something not right between them. Serenity was now declaring the marriages to take place in the spring, or when they had settled. Eleanor heard Sabin and Edith's names, and once again stole another quick glance at Merrick. He had paused eating his meal. A faint smile crossed his face when he heard Sabin's name. He did not look at Eleanor, and she continued to gaze at him, unable to look away. She found it absurd that they had not been able to talk as they once did. A rift had formed between them. She remembered what Serenity had told her, to be patient and not give up trying to talk to him. Merrick had gone to see her when Eleanor had managed to escape from his grasp. The healer refused to tell Eleanor what he had said, which frustrated her. Serenity could be a so stubborn woman, and it dawned on Eleanor that Merrick had asked her not to reveal their pregnancy. The man sitting next to her had followed her gaze and chuckled softly. 
I think our leader might have a liking to Emsie's sister. Don't blame him. She is beautiful. Eleanor threw the man a hard look. I think you need to hold your tongue. Eleanor stood and left the table. It was more than she could take. She placed the iron kettle over the fire and sat on the log that faced it. She did not have much tea left and made a mental note to ask the healer if she knew where she could pick the herbs to make some more. She heard footsteps approaching and quickly turned to see who it was. Talit stepped from the shadows. What are you doing here? he asked. Eleanor frowned. I live here, remember? He wanted to be left alone and felt the prick of a t- irritation. You should be with Merrick supporting him, not sitting here making tea. Eleanor stood up, faced the warrior. It is none of your business, Talit, what I am doing. And if Merrick needs my support, maybe he should come and talk to me. Her voice began to rise, and she felt her anger beginning to boil. Easy, Eleanor, I'm just being a friend. People are beginning to talk, and that is not good. Eleanor thought about the man that had sat next to her, and she groaned inwardly. Tell it was right. We're talking and starting to notice that things were not right between them. It was not a good sign, especially when they were in the fight of their lives. Tell it took a step closer. How about we start over? I am sorry I came across harsh. I just think you need to work on your marriage or... He stopped in mid-sentence and when it was obvious that he would not finish what he was going to say, Eleanor prompted him to continue. Look, Nori, a man can get distracted and I think you need to be with him. Nor felt her heart skip a beat. What are you saying, Talit? He looked away before returning her gaze. Look, forget it. Just try and be with him or at least seen with him. The people need to see it. Help them feel confident. He turned to walk away before Eleanor reached out and grabbed his arm. He frowned. What is it, Eleanor? Wait for me, Talit. I'll come with you and you can take me to him. He hesitated for a moment before nodding. Eleanor quickly snuffed out the fire. Okay, let's go. She forced a smile, which he returned. The moon had risen high in the sky, a silver beacon against a cloak of darkness. Talon and Eleanor walked in silence. Most of the adults were either settling children to sleep so they could continue the festivities without demands, while others had already begun. Eleanor heard a woman's voice ring out in a traditional ceremonial song, and it gave her a sense of comfort. It's been so long since I've heard that song, Talit, she sighed. I cannot wait until all this is over and we can finally settle again. Talit did not answer. Instead, he'd come to a halt. Eleanor noticed he was looking over towards the group, standing not far from them. Merrick was standing next to Zuri, his arm around her waist. At first, Eleanor did not comprehend what she was seeing. She shook her head, but the image did not leave. She opened her mouth and closed it again. Feelings of jealousy... Hurt and envy, all entwined, coursed through her. Talit looked at her, waiting for a response, but she just shook her head. We've come this far. I'm tired of running away. Let us get it over with. Eleanor pushed Talit and made her way to her husband. Merrick turned when he heard Eleanor approach. A guilty look crossed his face when he saw his wife. So you've decided to come and talk to me, he said mockingly. Eleanor ignored his remark. 
I knew I'd find you with her. Eleanor kept her tone even and looked at Merrick directly. He forced a smile before grabbing her arm and turning her around. We can't talk here. She let him guide her back to their tent, not saying a word. Merrick followed Eleanor into the tent. His anger was barely under, the, under control. What are you doing, Eleanor? Well, maybe I should ask you that, Merrick, she yelled back at him. He shook his head while clenching and unclenching his fist. He began to pace the small space. You won't talk to me. I have to constantly look for you, and then I find you with another woman. Quiet! Merrick stopped pa his pacing, anger on his face. Eleanor felt tears well, and she grew annoyed at herself for being weak. This is ridiculous. Merrick turned and left the tent. Eleanor stood for a moment before following him. He stood just outside looking up at the sky. Merrick, we can't fight anymore. Eleanor took a step closer to him. He remained quiet and did not look at her. Where is your ring? The question took her by surprise and she frowned. She remembered that she had thrown it at him, but did not know where it had ended up or if he had retrieved it. I'm not sure. Merrick turned and looked at his wife. He still loved her, but he was not ready to forgive her. He felt betrayal with her not telling him about her pregnancy. He did not want any more children. The world was full of evil. Taking a deep breath, closed his eyes before opening them. <sighs> we have to be apart for a while. I need time to think. I have enough on my plate without this. He gestured towards her belly. So where are you going to go? Eleanor felt a wave of shock wash over her as she heard his words. I don't know. Just don't come looking for me. I'll get Talit to watch out for you. Without looking at her, he left the way they had come. They followed the tunnel as it wound and coursed underground. How will we know when we have reached our destination? Kriya asked her nephew. The trees will guide us and show us a way out, Pankomi answered for Ulrich. Ulrich smiled at the older man. Answer, Kriya. She frowned but did not comment. It seemed they'd been walking for an eternity and doubt began to cut her mind. She also felt tired. They'd been searching for days before finding Pankomi and she longed for a soft bed. She was surprised that she was feeling the way she was. She had always prided herself on being a strong warrior. She cast a quick glance at Katja, but his face remained expressionless. He was disciplined and rarely showed emotion. She thought about his future marriage to Ada. They suited one another in a way, both indifferent and kept their feelings to themselves. Both were determined, though Ada was somewhat headstrong and both at times appeared withdrawn and silent. She sighed. The world had changed so much, it still felt like an ongoing nightmare. Kriya turned her thoughts to her father. His sacrifice had been an effort to give his family and the people he led a chance to survive. She missed him, and she knew her mother would have been missing him immensely. Nothing would ever be the same again. A large void would be felt, and life would never be the same. Priya felt an enormous sadness. Tears threatened. She'd been close to her father, and she had not had the time to grieve. They had been so focused on hunting the Asaur. 
She stopped walking and felt the wolf lick her hand, picking up on her emotions. Ulrich turned to look back to who had stopped. Noticing Kriya, he frowned. Kriya, are you okay? okay? I need to rest, was all that she could manage. She slid down the back of, of the side of the tunnel and placed her head in her hands. Ulrich made his way back to her, concern etched on his face. Yeah? He bent down next to her. Please, Ulrich, I just need to rest for a while. We don't have a lot of time, Kriya. She did not answer him, and he soon realised she was crying softly. Pankaman came over to where they sat. I'll sit with her for a bit, Ulrich. I think I have an idea what the problem is. It's okay. A short reprieve will do us good. We can have a bite to eat. It will help lift our spirits. Ulrich nodded, nodded reluctantly and went to the saddlebags on the horses to pull some out of the dry meat they had taken with them. They ate in silence, reflecting on their own inner thoughts. When the meat had been finished and they all had a drink from the water skins, they started off again. Pankomi held the torch up higher and peered into the shadows. He could make out a faint light in the distance. Ulrich, I think we are close. Ulrich handed his reins to Catcher and made his way to Pankomi. There, do you see the light? He pointed towards the front of the tunnel, holding the torch up for Ulrich to see. Ulrich squinted, hoping that Pankomi was right. He felt his heart skip a beat. There, in the distance, was a faint shade of grey. I think you're right, Pankomi. We are getting closer. We must hurry. They made their way to the light with new enthusiasm, hoping they had finally made it to the Shakurta village. Eleanor had sat by the fire for most of the night, going over and over what Merrick had her. She'd found it hard to comprehend at first, and she wondered when she would wake up from the nightmare she was having. As the first streaky fingers of day began to grace the sky, she decided to go back to her tent. Exhaustion was replacing the hurt. Long to close her eyes and fall into a dreamless sleep. As she took a sip from the water skin, she heard someone approaching. She quickly pulled her hair back into a ponytail and rubbed her face in an attempt to rub away the tiredness. Eleanor! She paused before opening the tent flap. The voice was unfamiliar. Taking a breath, she pushed back the fabric. Flamer stood waiting for her, jeering look on his face. She frowned and forced herself to smile. She had not recognised his voice. Hello, Flamer. Can I help you? He smiled at her. I'm not sure if you can, he paused. Is Merrick here? Eleanor felt herself bristle. She knew Flamer knew that Merrick was not at their tent and he was trying to taunt her. He had always had a jealousy towards his he always had always had a jealousy towards his popular older brother ever since they had first met. Separation between Merrick and Eleanor would have pleased him, and she wondered if he would ever overcome his envy. Forced herself to smile, meeting his gaze directly. I'm sure you already know the answer, Flamer. I am on my own. Oh, that is a shame. I mean, he held up a ring. It shimmered in the early morning sun. I was trying to find out if this was his. 
Eleanor took a step closer. Can I have a look, please? I lost mine last night. Where did you find it? Flamer snatched the ring away. You sure it's not Merrick's? I mean, he isn't wearing one either. Eleanor struggled to keep from losing her temper. Flamer, please show me the ring. Flamer shook his head and looked out over the valley. What if it is Merrick's? He asked as he turned back to look at Eleanor. Eleanor took another step towards him. Stop playing games, you stupid boy. She could not take it any longer. Her temper had reached boiling point. Did you call me stupid? You are the stupid one. Why did you come here, Flamer? To mock me? Go and talk to your brother. You won't get any answers from me. Eleanor had begun to yell. Her anger and frustrations had reached breaking point. Now either give me the ring or leave. Flamer took a long look at Eleanor before throwing the ring into the fire pit. Go fetch, he said laughing. Leave, Eleanor repeated. Flamer took one last look at her before he turned and left. Eleanor watched him leave. Her heart was racing. She realised that Flamer could be dangerous. His jealousy was making him bitter. To the gods, we have enough enemies, she thought. She went over to the fire pit where he had thrown the ring. It gleamed and winked amongst the ashes. She grabbed a stick and prized it from the embers. She blew gently on it for it cool. She was unsure on whether it was hers or Merrick's, but she knew that they were both engraved in an effort to tell them apart. After the ring was cool enough, she held it up to the light. Squinting, she made out her name. Flamer was right. The ring was Merrick's. They had each give, they had given each other a ring with their name on it, a symbol that they would always be together, united as one. She sighed. She did not want to cry. She had shed enough tears. She felt an emptiness, a deep sadness. She'd never felt so alone in all her life. Questions began to rise and begged to be answered. How did he have Merrick's ring? Why wasn't Merrick wearing it and where did he get it? Eleanor sat on the log. Another thought came into her mind. What if Flamer starts spreading rumours? She groaned inwardly. The nightmare was far from over. Daylight filtered in from a huge gaping hole. Giant tree roots splayed like latticework towards the end of the tunnel. Trees have created this opening. Praise the gods, they are helping us. Pankomi stood, looking up at the mesh of tendrils that hung from the dirt ceiling. We must hurry, Ulrich urged them to continue forward. The daylight was blinding and they waited until their eyes had become accustomed to the brightness. A thick canopy of trees surrounded them and a fervent rustling could be heard. Pankomi smiled. They are speak speaking to us. The group looked around the forest. The group looked around. The forest was breathtaking. Ancient trees reached up to the sky. Their branches spread in all directions. Birds sang and darted between the leaves. The buzz of insects filled the air while butterflies hovered. The woods had morphed into a throng of activity. They soaked up the forest and all its grace and glory. A deep connection could be felt between it and the humans. A relationship that was mutual, where one needed the other. 
as they basked in the splendour of nature. They did not hear the approach of warriors. A group of 30 men came dashing out of the undergrowth, swords and arrows drawn. They circled the newcomers. Ulrich and the group he led were taken by surprise. Please, we mean you no harm, he said as he motioned for Catcher and Kriya to lower their swords. The dog and wolf growled as they watched the newcomers warily. Ulrich tried to keep his thoughts neutral. He knew the seer of the village would be tried to infiltrate and he knew he'd be expecting them. The seer said you would come. A large warrior walked his horse over to where they stood. We do not want any trouble, Ulrich told the huge man. He merely nodded before motioning for his men to take their weapons. They followed them deep into the thick forest. An enormous village spread itself through the thick woodland, cleverly entwined with the forest. People came out to look at the foreigners, whispering and snickering as they were led through their city of flora. A huge hut stood under a massive tree. It was the largest tree the group had ever seen, breathtaking in its appearance. It rose like a giant beacon rising from the earth. Ulrich realised that this was the ancient tree that Ada had been telling him about. He had not expected it to stand behind the seer's home. He began to understand that it made sense since the custodians of the forest would need to protect their most precious and treasured asset. An enormous man sat on an overly stuffed cushion. His hair was shaved apart from a lock that ran down to the base of his skull. Strange tattoos crisscrossed his body and a thick leather choker wrapped itself around his neck. Ulrich felt intimidated by the man's appearance. He'd never been a warrior, nor ever desired to be one, and once again he wondered why he had been chosen. You doubt the task that has been given to you. Ulrich frowned and turned to see a small man, sitting cross-legged, not far from the enormous one. He smiled a toothless grin when Ulrich turned to look at him. Kenji let out a low growl. This only made the man laugh louder. Kenji, Ulrich called the dog quieting. The dog ignored him. Instead, he continued to stare and let out a low grumbling. Wolf joined in. The small man threw his head back laughing. There is something not right here, whispered Catcher. Ulrich did not take his eyes off the seer. He could feel pure evil ooze from the man. The, stip, the seer stopped his laughter to stare at the people in front of him. You have a nerve waltzing in here. Didn't she warn you? We are the most ancient people on earth. The merriment had vanished. Instead, a wicked look covered the face of the seer. Ulrich glanced at the men that surrounded the seer, including the leader, who remained silent. We are custodians of the majestic forest, the most ancient people of all. The gods have chosen us. We are caretakers of the world. Well, then you must know that an evil force is burning and tearing down the forest and wrecking havoc by slaughtering people and burning down villages. Pancomi had stepped forward. He could not remain quiet any longer. Ulrich did not blame him. He had witnessed and seen so much. The seer narrowed his gaze, turning his attention to the older man. 
the seer gave a nod to the warriors who had brought them to him. They grabbed Pankomi and began to drag him away. Where are you taking him? Ulrich called out. The wolf and dog began to howl and bark loudly. You think you can just come here and try and take away what is ours? You are mistaken, son of Merrick. I am the seer, advisor to Takeo and to the forest of the gods. The seer nodded to one of the warriors, who stepped forward and grabbed Kenji. The dog growled and snapped, trying to defend itself as it was lifted by the warrior. Ulrich rushed towards his beloved companion, but it was too late. The warrior grinned sardonically as he ran the knife along the canine's throat, slitting him from ear to ear. No! Ulrich called out. The warrior let the dog fall to the ground. A smirk on his face. Catcher grabbed Ulrich, pulling him away. You will pay. I swear you will pay. Ulrich roared at the seer. Take them away. They are getting on my nerves. The seer told the warriors. Ulrich pushed at the warrior as he seized him by the arm, roughly shoving him towards the direction they had just come from. They were led from the forest. Their horses had been seized. They were left nothing but the clothes on their back as they were left at the edge of the thick woodland. Ulrich sank to his knees, his heart broken. He could not get the image of his beloved dog out of his mind. Catcher and Kriya left him alone to grieve, if only for a short while. The day had just begun, and already it seemed it would be one of full of sadness and loss. So thank you for listening. I appreciate your time and truly am grateful. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe where you listen to all your favourite podcasts. Take care, everyone, and see you next week on The Story, the podcast where great stories are told. Bye for now.